Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast, long time no see. Uh, I'm your host, Mason. I wanted to apologize, I wasn't able to get an episode up last week. Uh, if you don't know, I live in Florida, the state of Florida here in the U.S., and if you don't know, we got hit by a pretty major hurricane last week, and right around Tuesday, I'll just tell you all the quick story, on Tuesday, it was very clear it was coming right for us, um, and it just developed over just a couple days. It was like not even on our radar, didn't know anything about it, then all of a sudden, you need to evacuate, and there were police officers going around town, knocking on doors, making sure people were getting out of there. I live very close to the water, and it was tracking right for us. I'm talking like the middle of the storm was going to go right over my house. And it was a worst case scenario. There was huge storm surges, which is basically just the sea level rising uh, a dozen feet or more in places. And there was no way we were going to get out of this without some serious damage to our home. So I spent all of Tuesday and part of Wednesday, like getting everything ready um, and getting the heck out of there, getting my family out of there. And uh, it went over the course of Tuesday night from worst case scenario for us, like our house is going to get demolished all the way to best case scenario, considering the storm you know, was still going to hit us. Um, and how that happened, the eye of the storm went just a hair south. Um, it just started tracking more and more south, which basically made us go from the side of the storm where the water was coming onto land to the side of the storm based on how it's spinning uh, counterclockwise, where it was pulling water away from land. So that slight change in direction, I mean, was a night and day difference in our situation. But we didn't know. We had already evacuated before we realized that change was happening. And uh, we are extremely, extremely fortunate. But all that means is that someone else was hit with it. And that was what you've probably seen on the news with Fort Myers, uh, Naples, Sanibel Island, Captiva, all that. They were hit directly. And we do have family and friends down there who have been very much affected. And they were, I mean, it's a lot, a lot of damage, a really bad damage. So um, sorry that I wasn't able to get an episode up. It just, I had it on my to-do list before I got out of town, but the storm was picking up. I was not done prepping the house and sandbags and plastic and getting everything high off the ground as I possibly could before I was, it was all, all of a sudden it was nighttime on Tuesday and police had told us to evacuate hours ago. So I said, we've got to go. So my apologies, really crazy experience. Um, thankfully we get back and there's not a ton of damage to our house or serious flooding, but all the way, you know, where we evacuated about an hour and a half East at my mom's house and came back and just coming back, we couldn't even get home. Like we had to take like four different turns, go down a road, see if it was flooded. If not, go keep going. But then ultimately it would get flooded. We have to backtrack, find a new way. It was wild trying to get home through all that. It was uh, rivers I had never seen flooded, flooded, not just, you know, a little bit, but like rivers that are one to two feet deep normally or little creeks. Uh, that are very small little waterways, 10 to 15 to 20 feet higher than they normally are. Um, unbelievable amounts of water. And um, yeah, so that's what that's what it was. So long story, um, this episode, by the way, is awesome. Jen Gurecki is the owner, the CEO of the all-women ski and snowboard company Coalition Snow. You may have heard of it. Uh, she also has a podcast called Juicy Bits. Uh does a bunch of other stuff. But what I love about uh, this lifestyle and the lifestyle of an adventure company CEO is oftentimes they have to balance this love of adventure with running a company, which, as you know, there's probably a lot of business owners listening. It's all encompassing. Uh, running a company can easily become, um, it's actually harder to separate from that at any point. It's just all encompassing. Everything you do, every waking moment has to do with it for a lot of business owners. There's that old adage that, you know, I was tired of working my nine to five. So I started a company and now I work 24 seven because that's what happens. But Jen is a great example of being able to unplug uh, and go on, you know, a month long bike across Africa and still maintain the company and still uh, be able to, uh, 
do those incredible adventures. So a cool example for us, cool example for me, uh, who often thinks I don't have enough time, but frankly, I don't make the time. But let's go ahead and jump in. Enough of me talking. This has been a five-minute intro. I try not to do these, but under the circumstances, I wanted to explain why you didn't hear from me last week. And I'll be honest, I just did not have the capacity mentally or physically. It was just all out, like kicked into survival mode. How do I get my family safe? How do I keep my friends and and property and everything as intact as possible um, and not let anything uh, slip through the cracks too much? So it was just total focus on that uh, for a good week. And so I'm finally getting back into things. So thanks for that time. And uh, yeah, ho- hopefully hopefully everyone else wasn't too uh, affected because I know we have a lot of listeners in Florida. All right, let's go ahead and jump in. Where are you coming from today? Uh, well, I live in Reno. Um, so I, I'm here in my home office and... Um, I spend a lot of time in the Tahoe Truckee area and in Denver as well. So, um, but today I'm in Reno. Cool. And so home is in Reno. Um, well, I'd like to say that I have a very expensive storage space <laughs> in Reno is, is kind of how that, that works. But yeah. Awesome. Now why Reno? Why, why'd you end up there? Um, so I'd, I had been living in Lake Tahoe, um, Tahoe Truckee for 15 years and, um, it's just, easier and better to have a business in Nevada than it is in California for so many reasons from taxes to corporate veil to incorporation. And so Nevada is really a stone's throw from California when you live in Lake Tahoe. So it made sense for us when we started coalition to incorporate in Nevada. And that subsequently led us down the path of having our business advisors in Reno and our warehouse in Reno and a mailing address in Reno. And, uh, there's also an airport there. And so I, even though I was living in Truckee for, um, when we founded coalition, I I subsequently moved to Reno because it was just easier on the business side of things. That's a great idea. I mean, yeah, California is notorious for being just, you know, little tougher place to start a business. I mean, I know a lot of it's there, of course, but that's interesting. That's really cool. I didn't realize that. But yeah, you're like you said, it's right there um, next to Tahoe anyway. Yeah. And I still wake up every day and look at the mountains out of my my window. So it's not um, it's not the most awful place to be. I think that Reno has uh, perhaps a negative stigma because it's in Nevada and because of gambling. But I don't spend any time in the casinos and the river. You know, the Truckee River runs through town. Uh, I ride my bike everywhere that I need to go. Um, Yeah, and I look at the mountains. So it's a pretty awesome place to be and definitely better to do business in Nevada than it is in California, for sure. Yeah, and I mean, it has historically, it's an outdoor community. I mean, that's where outdoor retailers started. Yeah, yep. It started here and we have um, Patagonia is based here. Um, So there's there's a lot of cool stuff happening in Reno. Very cool. Well, you know, as people heard in the intro, and I told you we'll record, uh, you have your hands in just so many things. You are obviously, (laughs) you've you've heard this, I've heard it on other interviews, you've done serial entrepreneur and serial Mm -hmm. adventurer. Can you just take us back? Like, where are you from? And and, kind of what, what is your adventure sports background? And what did you grow up doing? And, and, how did you get to this point? But let's start at the beginning, if you don't mind. Sure. I mean, this is all, I'm an, I'm an unlikely entrepreneur and outdoor adventurer, I'd have to say. My parents are teachers. I was not raised in a home that uh, prioritized or valued entrepreneurship. I didn't really have any role models or mentors growing up in that. My, my father really enjoyed hunting and fishing, but that those activities were a little bit more reserved for my brother. So although we occasionally would go on a fishing trip as a family, I wasn't necessarily overly encouraged to participate in the outdoors. And it wasn't really until I got into high school and saw skiing and snowboarding as a social outlet because there was a ski and snowboard club at my school 
that I really sort of took it into my own hands and decided that it was something that I wanted to pursue. So when I was in high school, I joined that club and this was in Arizona. So I grew up in the desert in Chandler, Arizona. And at the time it was all cotton fields and cattle ranches and rattlesnakes and black widows, tumbleweeds. And, um, I just thought it would be really fun to join that club and we would take trips to Arizona Snowball up in Flagstaff and to Sunrise and occasionally we would travel up into um, Utah or Colorado and that's when I really fell in love with being in the mountains. So then when I was making the decision on which university to go to and I was I was going to go to a state school, I had a scholarship for full tuition. And so I had three choices and I was definitely going to go to school, but it had to be free. And I chose Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff so I could specifically live in the mountains. And so I went to school when I was, uh, went to university when I was 17, uh, immediately found a job at Arizona Snowball working in the rental department and then was able to work um, in the shop. I learned how to, how to tune skis and, and boards and figured out a, a major that would allow me to only have to go to classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So I had five days a week to play. And that was really the beginning of my love of the outdoors um, and really sort of what got me in, into the outdoor industry. So, you know, renting equipment and retail didn't totally just discourage you from continuing on in the outdoor industry because it can be pretty rough. Yeah, it's it's amazing that fitting people with rental boots didn't completely destroy me. But <laughs> I think that, um, you know, ultimately what ended up happening, so I didn't start off in retail or on the sales side at first. I actually have a degree in print journalism and I graduated university when I was 21 years old, and I thought that that was way too young to get into the workforce. So I stayed in Flagstaff for a little bit, played a lot more. I was a, a bartender and then really didn't like working for newspapers. Um, and, and so I, I actually went back to school to get a teaching credential because remember, my parents are teachers, so that's what I knew. Um, so I went back to school to get a teaching credential. And then once again, when it came time to find a job teaching, I thought to myself, what have I done? I don't want to be inside Monday through Friday every single day. Um, and I realized, though, at that point that with that teaching credential and my love of the outdoors, that I could work in outdoor re recreation. So um, I moved to Lake Tahoe back in 2001. And I started working um, in wilderness therapy, and I worked for the California Conservation Corps. So my early career in my mid-20s was much more on the nonprofit education, outdoor recreation side of things. Um, and I actually did run an outdoor program for the University of California at Berkeley for about eight years. And that program, the entire mission was to actually work with first generation students um, and underserved youth to get them into the outdoors. So we were working primarily with Latino students in the Tahoe Truckee area um, and Hmong and Latino students in the Central Valley of California. And that's that was probably my first decade, at least decade in the industry was on the on that side of things. And I believe that organization's still going, right? Or that program's still going? It is, yeah. It's called Adventure Risk Challenge. And it's an incredible organization that works across the state of California. And since um, starting at UC Berkeley, the team's actually been able to start up as their own non nonprofit. And it's been great to see them grow and, and thrive. And they do amazing work. Wow, that is that is awesome. That must be a great feeling knowing that it's still going and thriving and hopefully growing. Yeah, it it, it really is. And, and so from there, uh, what did you move into? Because I know, and, and tell us about because I know you just, you did a, a recent really really big bike tour in Africa. Were personal adventures kind of scattered in there when you could fit them in? Were you doing big trips like you do now? I, I was. Um, I was actually doing a lot more on the river rafting side of things. So at that time, I was um, 
just in this community of, of people who were heavily into the rafting side of things. I had gone to guide school. I learned how to be a guide. I, once again, I learned I didn't like being a guide. I learn, I do a lot of things and then realize like, oh, that's not for me. Time to make, make a shift. So I realized I didn't really like guiding people down rivers, but I loved rowing and rowing the, the gear boat. So I got involved um, with a business and actually ended up being one of the co-owners of a whitewater rafting company. And we would do tons of multi-day expeditions all across the West. Um, probably one of my most memorable ones was not a business trip, but a, a private trip. We rafted down the Grand Canyon for 28 days in January. And that was incredible. Uh, but for, for many years, I was just on the river. You know, I would, I would ski in the winter. I was on the river in the spring. And then in the summers when I would do most of my work for Adventure Risk Challenge. And then I would just hit repeat every single year on that. Why, why didn't you like taking people? Tell us what, what is that about? <laughs> well, so there's just a lot of interesting dynamics that happen in a boat. So first of all, there's people who dip their paddle in and think that they actually know how to guide the boat, which they don't know what they're doing. So as a guide, it's your job to literally steer the boat and the people in the boat are the horsepower, right? Well, exactly. on all too often, you would get someone normally a man who would dip his paddle in and try to move the boat, even though like, you know what you're doing. So that was frustrating. You also would see really interesting family dynamics play out where families would sort of erupt into these major fights because either children were being pushed too hard or not enough and people were scared. So there a lot of family dynamics stuff would happen and that's just not my jam. Uh, so that, that was the thing. And then, I mean, really you at some, when, when you're working and you're running day trips, you kind of feel like you're just like herding cows, you know, like moving sheep down a river. And for me, it lacked the, the, those elements of being in the outdoors that I love so much, which were solitude and, um, um, you know, really being with like smaller groups of people and being able to spend multiple days and being kind of re removed from things. Whereas when you're, you know, working, working in that industry and taking people down the river every day is a grind. Um, and it's not, it wasn't really what I was interested in doing. You know, that's, uh, that is interesting because, you know, this love for the outdoors, you want to share it, but you do realize, you know, maybe, maybe a deeper connection with people, like you said, through multi-day stuff or people who are a little more invested than the day trippers. Um, I don't know. I hear it from a lot of people in the industry talking about, yeah, it's making me hate my sport having to take all these people out all the time who don't love it like I do. We do the same things over and over again. It's the same, um, you know, attitudes and whatever. Uh, it, it, people just come and go rather than really being invested in it. Yeah, but it's it's tricky though because you because people should be welcomed into the outdoors in any way that they decide that they want to play, you know, as, as long as they're being good stewards of, of the land. And so I think at, at some level, those of us who maybe consider ourselves a little bit more hard, hardcore, we can, you know, we can definitely, we, you can get to a point where you realize that the way in which you're earning a paycheck isn't the way that you want to live. So I wouldn't want to be someone who says like, oh, I don't, I don't like all the day trippers or the people who just come out one time because it's it's not possible for every human being to be able to spend a lot of time in the outdoors, whether, you know, or in that way, like what, you know, with rafting or cycling or skiing, because there's just a high cost of, and you know, high cost of entry into the sport. Um, it's very time consuming. It requires transportation. There's issues around childcare. People have jobs. So there's all these different layers of why people can't be as invested as someone like myself. And, and definitely my, my ability to, to play and to recreate the way that I do is really bound in a lot of pri privilege. Um, but, but I think with, with that said, so I, so I value all of those people and I really encourage people to get out there, even if it's just for a day, I think wh what the trick is, is to figure out how you want to earn a living. 
right? So oftentimes, if you really love the outdoors, maybe you shouldn't be working in that industry because it's work. And who likes work? You know, like work is work. Work is work. I have learned that. Yeah. And (laughs) I will say, um, I will say, I'm glad you said that, you know, not everyone's capable. My very first experience out West was one of those day trips with a company here in Colorado, day rafting trips. I was 13, family vacation. We're from Florida. You know, we're like the quintessential tourists. And we, I guarantee, I know my mom, I don't remember the experience, but I know it was not probably very pleasant for this poor guy. Uh, (laughs) She could be a handful. Mom, I love you. If you're listening, you're awesome. But you know, you're, 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 we don't adventure a lot together. Let's put it that way. Um, but that planted a seed in me, it didn't pay off or I didn't kind of grow it until about 10 years later, but it was that experience that was like an investment. And Mm -hmm. I would love to tell that guy now, if I could ever find him saying, Hey man, like, I don't know if we were a great group or you remember, you probably don't, you had millions of people, I'm sure. But that really meant a lot to me. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now in a big way. So who yeah. knows out there who who you've impacted, who you guided, who you thought this little he's not even having fun out here today. <laughs> yeah, it was more it was more the the parents, not not the, the kids tend to be fine, but um, but yeah, it is it it is all those you know those crystallizing moments, and all it takes is to have one, and then you're hooked, and that's why it's so important to welcome and include as many people as possible in the outdoors. Wow, that's awesome. So you, you said you, you've spent a lot of time going in a direction, realizing that's not what you wanted to do, then coming back. Uh, how, how did mentally, in your mindset, have you handled that? Because you, does it feel like wasted time or does it feel just kind of just another step in the road? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Well, I'm this this might um, this might date me, but my you know I'm 42 years old and I'm from a generation that values experience, and so I see all of this as as one experience after another that built upon itself, and that I um, was able to learn from all those experiences and apply them to other things. I, I think having as many experiences as you can have and learning from them is how you actually get to the point of becoming an expert in what it is that you, you, you do. So I, when I was younger, you know, starting in my, my twenties, I, you know, I was obviously learning and really didn't know what it was that I wanted to do with my life, what kind of career I wanted to have. I think like most people in your 20s, I was searching for some sort of bigger meaning or something that I wanted to be a part of. And I think that at at the time, it was relatively frustrating because you just want to be there and you just want to be doing the thing that you want to do and you want to be valued for for your work and um, you know you want to have this career and make money. Um, side note: Don't work in the outdoor industry if you want to make money. But I digress. Um, <laughs> but so I, I definitely, you know, I look back at my twenties and even my early thirties as a time in which I was gathering so many experiences that actually have allowed me to get to the place that I am today. And, you know, even looking at the, the values around coalition snow go back to my early days in the outdoor industry where I was traveling through the central Valley and going to people's homes and speaking in Spanish to parents about wanting to work with them, um, to have their families come into Yosemite national park and create community there. And that, you know, to have those experiences in my twenties are, have definitely Im- impacted, um, you know, the, the ethos and, and the values of what I do now. You, you mentioned, um, you know, that year cycle of skiing and, and rafting. Um, and I know these just so many diverse experiences along the way, partially with work, partially with just, just trips you want to do. Was there ever a time you said, God, I just can't do this anymore. I've got to go get a job somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Friday, just on Friday, I said that. Yeah, I just, just this past yeah. Friday. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and then I think I, I think I said it again on Saturday, and then um, I'm likely oh, going to say man. it again today. Yeah, it's. I mean, 
I'm, I, I feel like I'm, I'm because I started my own business, I'm, I'm on that side of things. And, and, um, you know, I, it, it's different when you're 100% responsible for whether or not you get a paycheck and whether your team gets a paycheck and there's just so much pressure and, you know, being an entrepreneur is, is difficult for anyone. Um, it's, it's not easy and it requires a ton of sacrificing and suffering and any uh, fellow entrepreneur will fully um, understand what, what I'm saying there and and as a woman in a male-dominated industry the levels of bullshit that you have to deal with and how difficult running a business can be are just sort of amplified so I, I frequently wonder what am I doing because life could be so much easier um, but then I remember that I'm the one who's created this. And so I have an opportunity to keep building what it is that I want to be a part of. And I do get to do, you know, I, I lead a pretty amazing life. I mean, like I said, there's not a lot of money involved in it, but, um, I, I get to work with incredible people and I get to travel the world and, um, I get to be a part of something that I really believe in. And, you know, if that's what you value, then yeah. that's what you should be doing. Um, I absolutely get it. I went camping last weekend with a, one of my best friends, and I, I know he doesn't work very hard by his own admission, and I know mm -hmm. his paycheck is astronomical, and I know mm -hmm. that I'm sitting here, <laughs> yeah, you know, just grinding every day for, you know, scraps, what it feels like. Yep. And I look at him, and I'm like, yeah, that's what you want, and in a way, this is this is what I want. And we mm -hmm. both respect each other and envy each other because of that. Mm -hmm. And we can be open about it and, and, and friendly about it. And uh, it's actually funny. From there, what, what kind of led you um, into what you're doing now? Because I know, like, I don't know, you just got so much. I don't know of all the things you're doing, what takes the most time or what you're most focused on. Um, but could, mm -hmm. could you kind of lead us into what has led you to today as well? Yeah. So, you know, I... I'd done the, you know, all the outdoor ed stuff, the Berkeley thing. I'd done the whitewater rafting. And then, um, I, I was actually at that. I'm, I have to remember cause these, you know, the thing, the, the days and the, everything starts to pile up. But, um, I was actually started my PhD. So I was like taking a little break from working full time. I'd started a PhD, which I have subsequently dropped out of. Um, I never wrote my dissertation. So, um, I, uh, I was actually started that and I was out on a backcountry ski trip on the East side of the Sierra and I was chatting with friends and we were having a conversation about the state of the world that women live in and just talking about things that we were seeing in the outdoor industry that were surprising to us. And this would have been, um, about seven years ago. And so things back then are actually very different than they are, are today. And, you know, back then there were professional skiers who started talking very publicly about the way that they were being represented in the media. And, and they were, you know, I, I remember Lindsay Dyer at the time wrote an open letter to free skier saying, you know, why did you publish that photo of me in a bikini when you were provided with photos of me skiing and the photo in the bikini, you didn't, you weren't even authorized to, to print it. And this is a skiing magazine. So feature me as a skier. And so seeing things like that. And I, I think the reason why we were seeing it is because of social media, which is essentially democratized information. And so for the first time, women who weren't necessarily represented in, in the media or didn't, didn't have access had this new platform to make their voice heard. So this was really fascinating to me. And we were discussing it. And, you know, one of my friends who had worked in the ski industry looked over at me and said, this industry needs a big shakeup. You should, you should really be the one to start a ski com company. You, you should do it. Because we were having this conversation about women are always expected to work in the nonprofit sector or in apparel, you know, to really stay in our lane. And that was part of the problem and that we would never really be able to achieve any sort of gender equity if women were always expected to stay in, in their lane. And a way to get out of your lane would have been to do what men do. And in the outdoor industry, men design hard goods. And so that was the conversation we were having. And 
because I'm the type of person who gets really excited about new ideas and things that are really difficult and the challenge, I kind of jumped on it. And so I immediately started sending texts to friends and emails and, and did, you know, I would say like pretty, pretty robust market research for somebody who was just kind of exploring this concept of what would people think about a women owned, women led ski and snowboard company. And the response was pretty, was, was pretty positive. So kind of took the next step and, um, was able to get a couple prototypes made and went to Kenya to summit Mount Kenya, which is the second highest peak in Africa and actually ski our prototypes on the Lewis glacier, which is disappearing because of, of climate change. So we, the, 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 the idea was, well, let's get these samples made. Let's go on this expedition. Let's see if we can get the media in the outdoor industry to pay attention to this. Well, then they, they, they did. So then we had a little bit more traction and with that validation, decided to officially launch Coalition Snow, and that happened in May of 2014. Um, and then that subsequently became pretty all-encompassing and has been primarily what I've focused on since then. Do you enjoy it? Oftentimes, yeah. Oftentimes I do. I mean, I, like I said, I am the person who controls my own life, and at any moment I I could choose to walk away from this and I could, co I could choose to do something else and I don't. And, um, there's, I love being in the outdoor industry. I think it's an industry full of really incredible people. I, I love that being in the outdoors and taking care of yourself, um, and taking care of your community and the environment through outdoor recreation is a pr priority. Um, it's just a really good, there's certain elements of the outdoor industry where the, the culture is really positive in, in that sense. Um, I love, I love shaking up. I love saying things that make people think twice. And the fact that I have my own company and we have all these different platforms to do that is it's very, there's so much freedom and being able to do that, like I don't have to have something approved by a marketing manager who has to go to someone else. And, and so we're so nimble, um, which allows us to be really bold um, and move quick, quickly on things. And that like the, the freedom in that is just phenomenal. Um, my work partner, my work wife, Lauren, is amazing. Um, and so I value that relationship a lot. And it's just pretty cool to see how, you know, we're one of the companies and some of the people who are helping to make the outdoor industry a more welcoming and inclusive place. And that makes me feel really good, um, despite all the things that are not easy <laughs> about this. There's a lot that isn't easy, you know, there's yeah. a lot um, just in starting a brand itself. Um, especially if there's a, a mission behind it other, uh, more so than mi just making money. Um, I completely, uh, understand that front. Um, and now has coalition snow been the, the platform to build everything else you're doing now? Cause I, I know you, you host a podcast, you have a magazine and, um, mm -hmm. it's just a lot. It's incredible. What is this? What came first? Yeah. So co coalition came first. Um, and then really, I mean, we're such a small team and we've always bootstrapped everything. And so, you know, I love, I love branding. I love marketing. I would say that those are two things that, um, you know, I feel really confident in and I, I would consider myself a, a creative. Um, and I am always thinking of ways about like, how do we how, how can we increase our brand awareness? How can we get more people to find out about coalition? Because subsequently, you know, that's all about eventually making sales. And I, um, you know, we don't have these huge ad budgets to run, you know, inside cover of different magazines, because those cost, you know, tens of thousands of dollars and all of the gear re reviews are pay to play. So you have to pay, you know, at least um, eight, $9,000 to even have any of your equipment re reviewed by the major magazines. So it's like, there's this, there's this 
barrier of everything being so expensive to actually have a legitimate and viable company in the out- outdoors. So I've just approached it as like, Fuck it, we're going to do our own thing. And we're going to, you know, create the stories and create the the messages that, that we know that our community values and wants to engage with. And so starting a podcast, it takes time. Um, it takes, you know, there's obviously like some expertise around editing, um, but it doesn't require a huge advertising budget. You just create it and you put it out on social and people follow it. So, and it's really fun. I get to do that with, with Jillian, who's one of our ambassadors and, you know, she and her husband ski 12 months a year, every single year. So she's really, um, an incredible human being. And so that's really fun to be able to do that with, with her. And then, um, sub, you know, had, had the podcast, we have our newsletter every Thursday that comes out. It's called lady parts. Um, and then it was about a year ago, Actually, I was, you you alluded to this earlier, but I was cycling from Nairobi to Cape Town. So that was a 70-ish day cycling trip across the continent of Africa. And when you're spending, you know, seven, eight hours in the saddle every day for day after day, you just think about a lot of things. And that's really where the idea of Sisu Magazine came to me and there are a lot of different reasons why I was thinking about it. Um, but you know, subsequently Lauren and I decided that it was something that we wanted to pursue because it would allow us to talk about all the things that were really important to us. And we feel important to our industry that were just a little bit more difficult to do through a platform of coalition, which is so focused on skis and snowboards and snow, snow sports. We essentially wanted to be able to cast a wider net, um, you know, reach more, more people talk about issues that are, you know, much broader outside of snow, snow sports, um, and do something that was more on the creative side versus the product development side. All right. I'm you. I'm going to pretend uh-huh. to be you. I run a, a women specific ski apparel and equipment company making just awesome gear and mm-hmm. making stories, making adventures happen in the ski industry, snowboarding. I'm going to get on a bike in another continent and just ride it off-road for 70 days. How do you do that? Like, How do you have time, first of all, in, in the connection between the two types of experiences? That just seems, honestly, it's something I've always wanted to do, but it just seems like two different <laughs> worlds, you know? Yeah, well, so I I lead two different lives, actually, and this isn't really something that everybody knows about me, but in my, um, you know, in my experiences in the world, and it doesn't really get talked that much about on the outdoor side of things, um, I have built a life in Kenya and spent a lot of time in that part of the world. And I originally was over there conducting research for my master's degree. And I ended up actually starting a social enterprise in Kenya, which is now completely run um, by an all women, all Kenyan team. So um, although I am, you know, the founder and sit on the board, I I don't, I don't do any of the daily operations, which is, you know, which is a very good thing, because obviously, if I was responsible for that, I would be tanking the uh, company. But I'm, so I've always had, you know, one foot in the US, one foot in East Africa. And, and with all the time that I've spent in East Africa, I've actually, um, you know, I have, a, I have a community there. I have, I have a family, I have friends. And one of my friends is um, James Savage. And yes, his last name is actually Savage. And his father was one of the first people, was the first person to start commercial whitewater rafting in Kenya. So this is where the world start to collide, right? I owned a whitewater rafting company. I was in Kenya doing research for my master's degree. Of course, I would be whitewater rafting in Kenya because that was something that I loved to do. Right. And so that's when I originally met James and, and he and I and, and um, became very close friends and I'm close with his entire family um, and his wife and, he, and his, his kids. And so I've spent a lot of time adventuring and honestly living with him. I have a room at his house. So um, he... On the the week after he got married, we were sitting on his veranda in Nairobi. And I don't know if he was having this moment of like, oh, my gosh, I've settled down or like, 
or if he was trying to compete with his brother who had just done this big expedition in the Yukon, I don't know exactly what was going through his head, but he said to me, I want to cycle from Nairobi to Cape Town. I want to run this trip. Um, and I want you to do it with, with me. So, you know, Savage Wilderness Safaris, that's the name of the family business in Kent, in, in Kenya. And they do everything from whitewater rafting to summiting, you know, trekking Mount Kenya and Kilimanjaro. And they do rock climbing and mountain biking and just all of the amazing things that you can do in Africa. Um, and he invited me to go on this trip. And I because I always say yes to anything that's interesting and very difficult. I immediately said yes, and we started planning the trip, and that's how I ended up on that trip. Golly, okay, it makes sense now, but you had to put all those pieces <laughs> together for me. I was like, I know. how the hell do you go from skiing here in the States? Yeah. I'm going to Africa and bike for 70 days, mostly off-road. That's just crazy. Yeah. So what, can you tell, what was that experience like? I know that's a big question. I don't know. I mean, I think it was one of those experiences that you have in your life that you have absolutely no idea what it's going to be like. So then when you have it, it just is uh, pretty surreal and you don't really know how to make sense of it. Right. Like I don't, I mean, now I think getting into anything, you know, I, I just did a cycling trip in, in Nepal. So I felt like a little bit more prepared for, um, for, for that. Um, even though so many lessons learned there too, but, um, I didn't, I, it was, it was one of those things where looking back on it, you think to yourself, well, was it a big deal? Because all I did was decide to just ride my bike every day. Like it, it becomes so normal. It just becomes a part of what it is that you do that I have a hard time looking at it as anything besides I'm privileged enough that I could choose to carve out time to ride my bike every day. And that's what I did. And I just happened to write it from, you know, this point to that point to that point. And eventually you piece together enough days of riding your bike and you go far. I mean, there were some days like, you know, there were some days that were super easy, like the 60K days that were mostly downhill. And it was like, you know, beautiful gravel roads and the weather was nice. Like I, I'm like right now, I like that was a day in Namibia and it was amazing. And then there's the other days where, you know, you're riding through one torrential rainstorm after the next and you are just like soaking wet and then, then you're blistering hot from the sun and you do that. I don't know how many times. And then, you know, you rode the 170 K that day and you go to set up your tent and there's ants and then it rains that night and you get water in your tent and you're super pissed. Like, I don't, so like, you know, there's these, um, there were all these emotions from it being like really incredible to just total suffer fest. Um, but I got, I crossed off a bucket list. I got to go to Namibia. Namibia had always been on my, my bucket list. And that was an incredible, incredible country to explore. It's just stunning. Um, and yeah, it was just, it's just hard to put it in words when you do something like that. It was, it was a lot and nothing, you know, like it was like so big, but then also I just rode my bike. So I don't know. Yeah. And you know, this is something we talk about a lot on the show. Any amount of time you spend doing something like that, especially like a journey that's multiple weeks or months, it feels so much longer than the time that's actually out there. People back home are like, oh, you're already back where you're like, oh, I, I don't, it felt like a lifetime ago that I was here working on working on coalition snow. Um, it's just 70 days in a, another country where probably every inch of every day, every face you see is brand new to you. It's just sensory overload for somebody who's so driven and so ambitious and has so many things going on all the time. How difficult was it for you to, to, I would assume you didn't have nearly as much, you know, phone service, maybe internet. How hard was it to unplug for that amount of time? And honestly not because i i have a hard time closing my laptop in the india end of the night it's mm-hmm. just you know you want to keep going you want to keep working is that mm-hmm. hard for you yeah i mean i i worked the whole time and so every single rest day i wasn't resting i had my computer i was putting in like a 15 hour day um every day that we cycled i would wake up early check my slack check my my emails every break, um, I would be checking. And then when I finished my day, I would go to my tent and I would work for hours. The, 
I did not unplug for 70 days. The, the mobile network in across Africa is incredible. So you almost consistently have you consistently have access to a cellular network and I just would put a new SIM card in my phone in every single country and I would top up. And so I was fully connected. Um, you know, obviously I'd set a bunch of stuff up before I left in order to be able to do that. And the, the thing that you have to, the thing that you have to recognize is that coalition snow is a very seasonal business come April, May, nothing's happening. I mean, you, you have to, you know, post things on social media and put out your new newsletters, but like you have already made all of your sales to your re retailers back in January. You've sold all of your stuff through the winter. Like you're not doing a ton of stuff. And so, you know, I cycled in April, May, June, and that was really the best time to go because I was able to keep up with everything day to day because I didn't have to put in those seven days a week, you know, 12 hour work days like I do in the winter. Right. So, um, but I, I worked and ultimately it actually landed me a spot in entrepreneur Ma magazine is one of the most, um, you know, 50 most bold entrepreneurs because I worked remotely from Africa from a tent for 70 days and kept things going. Oh my goodness. <laughs> At least you could spend like all day thinking of responses to emails and stuff. We're like, what am I going to tell this person? I can really think yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, is it as amazing, you know, you, you, I, you're getting these, you know, mentions and having all this going on. How does it feel to you? I mean, do you feel overwhelmed? Do you feel like this is awesome? Do you thrive off that? Yeah, I mean, I definitely thrive off of it. I'm not somebody who needs consistency and stability to feel good. Um, you know, I I exist very comfortably in the unknown, right? Like I I'm I'm fine with sort of navigating new things. I'm a very curious person. I'm always interested about like what's next, what's behind that closed door. Um, so I feel pretty comfortable in situations like that. I'm very, I'm a workaholic. So I, so even though I obviously take these like massive chunks of time to play, I have no problem being on my computer and on my phone every single day. Um, and I, I enjoy that. I mean, am I overwhelmed? Like 100%, but I think that I wouldn't be working as hard as I should be working or trying to achieve as much as I should be trying to achieve, you know, like it's, I should be overwhelmed. I'm trying to do really big things. Like everything I do is I'm trying, it's big, you know, like starting a ski and snowboard com company. That's a big deal. Um, as a woman starting a magazine, cycling across the continent of, Af of Africa, like all of those are really big things. And to think that it would all be easy would be, naive. So, you know, I try to manage being overwhelmed with, with grace, um, and try not to let being overwhelmed impact my ability to execute. Um, so I'm just, yeah, like I would say that I'm constantly managing that feeling, but I'm kind of used to it by now, <laughs> by now. And <laughs> yeah. I think like, I just think this, like, this is, this is the way my life is going to be. And if that means that I get to continue to do all of these things and, and the, the downside is that I'm overwhelmed. I mean, look at all the people in this world who aren't overwhelmed, but they don't have any meaning in their life and they wish they could be doing something else. I don't wish to be doing something else. Like this is what I want to do. And I think that that's really, you know, the difference between having a calling and having a passion um, like I've figured out my, my calling in this world and I execute on it every single day. Can you summarize and, it? Um, yeah, I, I <laughs> put me on, on the spot with that one. Well, I, it, I just thought that was awesome. I'm like, holy cow. I don't talk to a lot of people that say I figured out my calling. I'm like, what is it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, like, you know, my, my calling is to, um, really challenge the status quo and to, and to use business, to use for-profit business as a tool for change and do it in a way that actually elevates the status of 
people who have been relegated to the margins. Um, and I choose to do that within the outdoor industry. Um, and so that's what my calling is. And so everything that I do from having a podcast to having a magazine to the work that I do in, in Kenya to, you know, a women owned women led ski and snowboard company all fits in to that. And that's why it makes complete sense in my head of how it all works together. Now, I just love it because, you know, the, very few people, I think, ever figure that out. You know, they, they, like you said, it's not a calling. It's more of like, you know, where's my dream job? Where is that job? Where's that thing? Rather than saying, here's the mission, it can, it can express itself or manifest in a million different ways. And for you, you've got, you know, half a dozen ways that you express it right now. Um, do, what are your hopes for each of those kind of branches of that tree right now? Are you adding more to it or, or, or like, what are your hopes for a coalition? What are your hopes for the magazine personally? I mean, ultimately my, my biggest hope for everything that I do is that it is, um, incredibly successful and profitable and has a life and a longevity outside of my existence on this planet. Like that's what, that's what I, that's what I want. Like I want to be able to, like I want coalition to, and well, coalition and Sisu and Zawadisha, which is the the business in in Kenya. Yep. I want them all to exist without me, and so that means that I have to be really focused on running businesses and and making sure that they're profitable and that the systems are in place for them to be profitable for the long for the long run, and that there's you know teams that I have like really strong teams and. You know, all of this doesn't happen just because of me. There's like lots of people who do lots of different things. Um, and, um, you know, I want everything to exist. Exist beyond you. Yeah. Even when you go all the way back to uh, one of the first things you were doing, the Adventure Risk Challenge, mm-hmm. that's like one of your little uh, your little calling offspring. You know what I mean? They're just, yeah. just growing and developing and learning things and, and impacting people without mm-hmm. you directly being involved, which is... Just exactly. gotta be a great feeling. Yeah, it is. It really oh man, is. that's that's just so <laughs> cool because because like you said, it might not put money in your pocket now since it's not you know yours per se, but it is fulfilling your calling. Yeah. So what what has been in this journey from hey, I really like the outdoors to this is my life now and this is what I'm going to do. This is my calling. What's been one of the lowest points you can remember? where it was like, why am I doing this? Yeah, I've got that. I mean, (laughs) so this, not December 2018, but December 2017. um, So not this past winter, but the winter before. um, Most people, like anybody who skis will remember that that was an awful winter. It didn't snow anywhere, right? Like, so, um, and we subsequently did not make our sales goals at like, at, at all. And so when it doesn't snow, people don't buy skis and then you don't make your sales goals. And as a small company, it's not like you've got, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank that you can just miss a winter. So we were totally, and I had to completely reconfigure the entire company. I laid people off. Um, I changed some of our systems. I, um, you know, was able to, um, access some credit to be able to like still go into production. And then I didn't take a paycheck. So, um, it was awful. And all of this happened right before Christmas. So I knew, I knew by mid December that we weren't going to make our sales goals. So I told everybody don't buy anything big, you know, don't, don't make a move. Don't do anything big. You're not going to have a job. Um, I'm winding down the company early for, for the season And, you know, we're going to look at what it needs to take, you know, what, what I'm gonna have to do to keep the company going another year. Um, that was awful. I definitely remember like, so I sleep in my closet and then I work in my, what's supposed to be the bedroom. I have this really small flat in in Reno. And so, um, I need to have an office where other people can come and work. The only way to do that was like for me to sleep in my, my closet. So I was like in my closet like lying on my bed, facing my pillow, screaming, like screaming into the pillow. Cause I was like, I don't know if we're going to make it out of this. Um, we did, we, you know, last year had a great year revenue was, you know, um, 
20% higher than, you know, year, year over year, we, we got through another year. Um, you know, this next year is looking really good as long as it snows, knock on wood. Um, so I did it, but it was awful. And you want to say to mother nature, why, why, why do you, why do you choose to do this to us? Like, right. Well, she's, she's like, well, it's actually what you're choosing to do to us. Yeah, exactly. Well, you're doing this to me. Like, let's, you know, like climate change is real. And, um, you know, the, the whole climate change debate is interesting because for me, I see it absolutely as an economic imperative of why we need to get our together. This isn't like, we can all have like morals and values about protecting the earth. I got a business to run. I want it to be successful. I, you know, like there's, there's this economic imperative that I think gets lost in a lot of those conversations. But yeah, I mean, if it doesn't snow, anybody who works in snow sports and anybody who has a small business is going to suffer. And, you know, what I think is, uh, really like an, a, a byproduct of that, that I don't know if a lot of people think about is that it's the indie companies. It's like the small companies like mine that make snow sports industry, make snow sports interesting. And we're the ones who are really able to push the boundaries in a lot of different ways that much larger corporations aren't able to. We're like the real people, um, who are, who are, um, you know, we're, we're innovating, um, and not even just innovating around product design, but, but, you know, the, in the way that, coalition is like innovating around like what it looks like to be somebody who loves to be in the out outdoors. And if we all go away, then snow sports and the outdoor industry is just boring. It's just boring. You know, we, so, um, it's just really, we're like, you know, the artists and the creatives and the, you know, like that we, we have that flair and that, um, energy and, um, and it's just a shame that, you know, climate change impacts our businesses so significantly and can just completely shut us down. You know, that's, I'm sure a lot of people don't hear that because ironically, that's the other side of the coin is all these companies saying, well, well, you know, we've got people's paychecks to get out. That's why I can't change my business practices. That's contributing to climate change. You're literally on the other side of that saying, well, it's directly because of those climate change impacts is why my business will fail. So you're going to, someone's going to lose out and it needs to be, you know, what's better for humanity, obviously, is to to stop what we're doing to the earth. Um, And I'm on the other side. I I do summer sports and this summer has sucked because we're just now able to get people backpacking in certain parts of the country because of how much snow there was late in the season. It's like, holy cow, we were open May 1st last year. This year, it's like this week in some of the same places. That's climate change as well. It, well, it what I'm saying is it's great for you, not great for me, but if there was a balance to it, that would obviously be just the ideal situation for both of us, you know? Yeah, you mean like back in the day when we could actually sort of like predict the weather because we under, yeah, like that, that's the issue is that we don't, there's, there's no way to look at historical weather patterns or historical snowfall or rain or any of that and use that for the future. So we've lost the ability to predict based on historical data. And so once again, if you think about like the economic impacts, we know that when you run a business and, you know, anything like everything is based on data, we don't have that ability. So anybody, you know, and there's so many different industries that would be affected by this from transportation um, to to people who are in um, development um, you know, to the outdoor industry, when we lose our ability to use historical data to help us make more informed business decisions, like our chance of, of failing and, and making the wrong, wrong decision is in increased. We can't predict the weather anymore every year. Like who knows, who knows? And that, you know, oh, there's just going to be so much crap to deal with. Yeah. So I, I don't want to, <laughs> <laughs> as easy as it is to do, I don't want to end on a yeah, negative note. What, what what has been on this journey of yours that has just obviously just been epic so far? And I'm going to take a guess based on historical data that it's going to continue to be epic for you. Yeah. Um, what has been a high? What is something that sticks out to you that says that's one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me? Yeah, I mean, I would I would say that it's 
really what I've, what I've seen happen in the industry. So, um, you, you now look at an outdoor industry that is trying to be more inclusive. They're still failing in a lot of different ways. But when I started Coalition Snow, nobody gave two shits about women. Um, and they certainly weren't even having conversations around race or gender identity or ableism. And so all of the conversations where people are trying to grapple with the fact that the sort of like normative, cisgendered, heterosexual white male, like that that is a person who exists in the industry, but it's not the only person. So how do we make sure that everything that we're doing um, in, is inclusive to to everyone? Um, I'm very proud to have been a part of that. And, it, and like I said, there's still like an incredible amount of work to be to be done. Um, but that makes me really proud to see that, you know, that conversations are happening and, and change is, is happening. Um, and then at sort of a more like micro level, um, it's really cool to me to hear women talk about like, oh, I met this other woman because I was part of the, you know, coalition ambassador team. And now we travel across the country and ski together. Or I met this other woman because of that sisterhood of shred Facebook group that you put together and, and seeing how women are making connections with one another and how that translates not only into more positive experiences in, in recreating and skiing and snowboarding, but also how those connections can really um, support women professionally. That makes me really proud. So there's, there's definitely like the, the macro side of like the industry shift and then the micro side of how we've been able to facilitate these really supportive connections. So, so what, what would you tell somebody who is at a path in their life? They say, all right, I got some choices here. And, um, one's, one's a path similar to yours. That's, it's adventurous. That's exciting. That's, that's, uh, uh, not unstable, but insecure in a lot of ways, but, but rewarding. Um, and the other one is maybe more traditional. What would you tell them? I would say that you should do what makes you feel what makes you feel good and what you can do. Like I recognize that the way that I choose to live is not something that every single person would want to do. Right. So I think you have to be really honest with yourself about, you know, what is it that you're willing to suffer for and what is it that you're willing to sacrifice? Because obviously no matter what decision you make, whether you're in a more um, conservative and consistent type of career or if you're like on on my side of things where you know it's definitely a little bit more of a roller coaster ride um you know you're sacrificing no matter where where you're at um and just knowing what it is that you're willing to suffer for know what it is that you're willing to sacrifice and then see which see which camp you land in yeah and maybe you go down one road and realize you don't like it as much as you thought you would and mm-hmm. you you can reinvent yourself. Yeah. Keep, keep making adjustments. Exactly. Well, I, I, I usually ask like, uh, you know, how can people follow you? You, I don't want you to have to plug like 14 different websites. <laughs> um, yeah. if you, unless you want to, <laughs> if not, I'm, I'm going to include everything in the show notes for sure, but feel free to shout out wh- where people can find more about you. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, really coalition snow is kind of like the one stop shop for all of this. So if you go to coalitionsnow.com, you can learn about Sisu Magazine, Juicy Bits Podcast, sign up for the Lady Parts newsletter. Um, We're actually introducing a new ski that's going to be more closely tied to the work that I do in in Kenya. So that will be dropping at the end of August. Um, So you can go to coalitionsnow.com and you can also follow, follow us on Instagram, uh, Facebook, and Twitter at Coalition Snow. Perfect. And I'll link all of those. Um, no problem there. Well, Jen, I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to do this. I know it's kind of, you know, precious working hours. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I hope this is worth it. And I hope uh, we're able to get the message out there even further and make that money while we can, you know, we're only on this <laughs> earth a little bit. <laughs> that's, that's right. Well, thank, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to talk to you and, and share my story with, with your community. Oh, we're going to love it. They're going to love it. And I've really enjoyed this. So uh, have a great day and uh, keep doing the great work. It's awesome. I will. Thank you so All much. Right. See ya. Okay. Bye. Bye. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. <laughs>